Thank you for listening today. We hope that this message from God's Word will help you to grow in your knowledge of God and your relationship with Him. At Lucy Baptist Church, we are fully committed to loving God, loving people, and making disciples. Now here's today's message. Good morning. You can take your Bibles or read off the screen. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 32. Hebrews 10, 32. I'll give you a moment to pull that up. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version, which is on the screen there. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those who so treated. Uh, For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we're not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Amen. Keep your Bibles open there as we continue our series in the book of Hebrews. And we entitled the series, Consider Jesus. He is infinitely greater. Let's join our hearts in prayer. Father, we are so grateful for this privilege of worship. We thank you for your presence here this morning. We thank you for the worthiness of the Lamb. Lord Jesus, thank you that you were and are worthy to receive riches and honor and power and glory. We thank you so much for the precious blood of the Lamb, the sinless, spotless blood, the precious blood of the Lamb, the only blood, the only sacrifice that can cleanse us, forgive us, the only blood that can make it possible for us to to have the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ put to our account, the only one through whom we can now enter in boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy, to find help in time of need. Lord, we thank you that you allow us to come. And Lord, as we have seen here in the book of Hebrews, Lord, we thank you that now through Christ we can draw near. And Lord, we have desired to do that in this time of worship already. But Lord, may we even draw nearer as we come through Christ, as we come to Uh, through the Word of God, to the Word of God, to receive what you have for us. Speak to our hearts today through the Word of God, by the Spirit of God. We thank you that this book, this Word is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, is a divider of the uh, the soul soul and spirit and the thoughts and intents of the heart. And we pray, God, that you will just examine our hearts this morning through the Word of God. And I pray that through this passage of Scripture that we would... See these principles, Lord, on how we, how we are to continue our race of faith, how we are to 
Avoid shrinking back, turning away from the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray you'll speak to every heart and life. You know the need, the heart need of every person here. You know those today who are here who know Christ. Some who may be uh, at that place of being tempted to turn away or to shrink back. You know those, Lord, who are running the race faithfully and just need encouragement today. God, we pray that you will speak to those hearts. And then, Lord, for those who, again, do not know Christ, have never turned from sin and trusted in Christ, will you use your word today? Will you use the gospel to awaken them to their need for yourself? Please be in full control of every thought, of every mind today, and be glorified in the outcome today, in the response of obedience, in the response of repentance and faith. Uh, Lord Jesus, we, we love you and we thank you for your presence here be glorified is our prayer in Jesus' name and for his glory. And all God's people agreed and said, amen. I'm going to preach from this passage today a message entitled, Don't Shrink Back. Perhaps you've heard of the famous um, high-wire aerialist, uh, the Flying Walendas. Uh, if you're closer to my age, maybe. Some of you younger folks may not have heard of them, but they were a, a family of uh, tight... Uh, walk, rope walking uh, uh, airless, and uh, they uh, they would they were very successful in their feats of tightrope walking at these tremendous heights. However, in 1978, their leader Carl Walenda tragically fell to his death in Puerto Rico, uh, San Juan, Puerto Rico. Well, what went wrong after all these years of su- successfully? Uh, taking on such tremendous challenges and, and doing so, again, successfully. This 75 feet high wire, and, uh, and yet he fell to his death. Well, in trying to solve this mystery, his wife, who was also an aerialist, she, uh, she evaluated it, and she said, you know, for about three months prior uh, to uh, this time, uh, when, he was, when Carl was going to cross the tightrope, she said he, he was uh, like never before. He was worried and concerned about falling. Uh, she said he, he thought more about falling than he did about succeeding in crossing the tightrope. And so she said uh, even to the extent that he uh, oversaw the, the uh, putting up of the tightrope and the, the guide wires and so forth, and, and she said he had never done that before. She concluded that her husband's loss of confidence contributed to his death. And, uh, and, and even though his past performances through all those years should have given him confidence that, that he could have successfully crossed the tightrope. Well, Carl, Carl Walenda shrunk back in fear. We might say he threw away his confidence. Well, I'll use that today as an illustration for what we see taking place in this passage. Again, as the writer of Hebrews is again, he's in the last week's passage, gave a tremendous warning. Again, some believe the most severe warning of all the book of Hebrews when he warned the people about turning back, about turning away, as we've seen again, uh, and falling away, as we've seen in this book. And we've, we saw that as those who uh, we refer to as apostates, those who uh, made a profession of their faith, they indicated they had placed their faith in Christ and yet they turned away, indicating that there had never been genuine faith. There had never been genuine repentance and faith, no genuine relationship 
with Christ. And so uh, now in a, in a greater word of encouragement as he's speaking to the people of God, once again, uh, challenging them uh, not to throw away uh, their confidence. Uh, Chrysostom said that the, the writer here in this passage acts very much like a surgeon who comforts and encourages his patient after making a painful incision. And again, the writer says twice in this passage, we are not to shrink back. We're not of those, in fact, who shrink back. Uh, those of us who are true believers, we don't shrink back. We don't fall back, if you will, in fear. We don't shrink back in fear. And again, he's not talking merely about fear of uh, various things. All, all of us probably struggle with one sort of, one kind of fear or another. He's not merely talking about those kind of fears, but again, he's, he's talking about uh, fear uh, as a child of God and, and fear uh, of, the, of the consequences of, of being a believer. And again, these, these folks uh, had, 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 we're going to see in a few moments, had been believers for some time. Many of them had, uh, had, had, been, had followed the Lord faithfully. And that just reminds us, even as we see in the illustration of Carl Walenda, that, that even when we've been out on the race a long time, even when we faithfully serve the Lord, we, we must always be encouraged not to shrink back, not to lose our confidence, but continue to run uh, the race faithfully. And so again, I want us to see today three, three principles here to help us remember, uh, uh, and again, helping us not to shrink back. First of all, the first one we see is remember God's faithful in, faithfulness to sustain you in the past. Remember God's faithfulness to sustain you in the past. Again, in verse 32, in an effort to encourage these believers to persevere and not to shrink back, he calls them, notice in the first, uh, verse 32 there, recall the former days. And again, he's, as he's thinking about these former days, offers said this word means to call over in your minds one by one. The present tense indicates that we're to do this continuously, repeatedly as a habit. We need to continuously. You know, sometimes we, uh, we're encouraged, for example, in, in Philippians, we don't focus so much on the past. Uh, we look ahead at the race ahead of us. But it is also in this passage important for us to remember God's faithfulness, to remember how God has blessed us, how he's taken care of us, how, he's, how he has been with us through the, the difficulties in life. And the time that he's referring to here, he notice he says, recall the time after you were enlightened. This phrase is used more than once in the book of Hebrews. And he's talking here about the light of the gospel that shines into our lives in order to be saved uh, we must hear the gospel. We must respond to the gospel in repentance and faith, surrendering to the lordship of Christ. And so he's talking to these people about looking back to shortly after that time when they came to faith in Christ, when the gospel shone into their lives and they responded to the gospel. He reminds them here in this verse that they endured, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Uh, the word from which we, the, which we get the word athletics here is, is this hard struggle. That's the word that is used here. Again, it speaks of an athletic contest or even combat used of soldiers. Uh, it refers to a terrific, a tremendous struggle. And the word sufferings, with sufferings, shows even more how severe their persecution was. Uh, we, we, as we move on to verse uh, 33... Again, he, uh, he indicates, he says, sometimes being publicly exposed 
uh, to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession. Now, Hebrews is believed to have been written in the early 60s, AD 60. And really, a persecution under Nero, which was far more severe, was in uh, around, began around AD 64 and continued for many years under the Roman Empire. So the, the time that he's referring back to is much earlier. Uh, and uh, again, probably under Emperor Claudius, AD 49, which, uh, which was some 10 to 15 years earlier than the time of this writing. So the, the reference he has is to something that had happened earlier. And so again, as I've read in this passage, he names uh, three areas at least where the, they, they, they suffered. First of all, the first was public exposure to reproach and affliction. And again, in verse 33 there, he describes it sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. Uh, The word theater comes from this first word. It literally means to bring up on stage. And the idea was that they were exposed to, again, uh, public ridicule. Uh, they, were, they, they suffered uh, again, uh, they were made a spectacle of, is what the word came to mean. In the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew five eleven, Jesus said, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. So again, what he's describing here was a form of persecution that the that the uh, members of the Roman Empire and others, uh, brought against them because they were believers. And, uh, and, it, and it had all kinds of uh, ways that, that could be done, as, as is mentioned here. Uh, again, the idea of, of lying against them, of, of, of slander, insult, uh, in which it also can include physical abuse. So that's what they, they had endured. The second thing is identification with others who are enduring persecution. He says, again, sometimes being partners with those so treated. So again, they, even when they were not personally going through persecution, they were partnering with those who were. Uh, the word partner, you might recognize, uh, is, the, is the same word from which we get the word fellowship. So there, were, there was fellowship. We often, when we think of fellowship, it's always pleasant, right? Fellowship, we think of, oh good, you know, we get uh, refreshments, we get dessert, or we get finger foods, or just fellowship. But this fellowship was not that kind of fellowship. They fellowshiped with them through their suffering, through their persecution. And that's biblical. In fact, the Bible says that we, as believers in Philippians chapter 3, 10, that we, we join in Christ fellowship, the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. We suffer with him through persecution. And that's exactly what these believers did with one another. And even the Lord Jesus, when he appeared to Saul, he said, why do you persecute me? And Jesus was talking about the persecution against his church as Saul was bringing persecution. So the Lord Jesus goes with us through our persecution as we stand firm for Christ and we suffer for his sake because of being a believer. But also when we uh, fellowship or suffer with those who are going through persecution, we identify with them, then we too are, are joining in that fellowship of persecution or suffering. He goes on to include another idea about that or a a 
Further thought on that in verse 34, for you had compassion on those in prison. And so, so they had compassion on those who were imprisoned for their faith. You think about how many believers in this day were in prison for their faith. Paul uh, saw before he came to Jesus, uh, he, that's, one of, that's what he did continuously. He was going on, his road, on the road to Damascus to uh, put Christians under arrest uh, when he met Jesus on that road. And so many were, heads of houses were taken from their families and put in jail and were suffering persecution, no longer to provide for their family as, as a result of that. And these believers came alongside of them, uh, many of them to take, help take care of them uh, and to help minister to them in this difficulty. Uh, and that's what the, this idea is. In fact, again, uh, they, they join with them in their... Kent Hughes says that, that in this day and time, those in prison, uh, in the first century, prisoners had no means of survival apart from the visits of friends who brought food and water and clothing. But their coming there placed them in danger. Even identifying with them in this sense put them in danger through their identification with them. They helped, no doubt, take care of those families whose family members were now imprisoned because of their faith, their stand for Christ. So they identified with them. They had compassion on them in this sense. And that's what we're called to do. We're reminded of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 12 about the body of Christ. He said that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So they were being the body of Christ. They were suffering through this, these imprisonments with their fellow believers. And, you know, again, we're, we're called to do that today. We'll say more about that uh, in a few moments. But identification with others enduring their persecution. Also reminded of Jesus' words in Matthew 25, he said, I was in prison and you came to me. He went on to say, if you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And so they were identifying with uh, their brothers and sisters in Christ uh, in their suffering and their difficulty. But a third area of suffering and persecution was in property confiscation. We see that again in the, in the next part there of the verse where he, where he goes on to say, uh, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. We don't know and, and most aren't sure whether this was an act of the government or whether uh, that they were actually just taking their property from them or just an act of persecution. Uh, in the sense of destroying their property. Uh, but, uh, but, but, the, but notice their response. He reminded them that even as, a young, as young believers, they joyfully accepted this plundering of their property. Now, how could they do that? Well, he tells us. Because you, he says they knew they had a better and a lasting possession. They responded in this way. Why? Because they didn't love the world 
or the things of the world. We just started a new uh, financial uh, class this morning on managing our, our, God's, our money God's way. And, uh, and, and of course, right off the bat, we were reminded in that class that, that what we have doesn't belong to us. What we have belongs to Jesus. When we come to him in repentance and faith and surrender of our lives to Christ, it belongs to him. And, uh, and these believers understood that in principle. They gave up ownership of what they had. And uh, again, they knew, as Paul said in Philippians, how to, how, to do, how to have more and how to have less. And obviously, they understood what Jesus taught in Matthew 6, uh, 19 through 20. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And we need today the same perspective as believers as we think about what's really important. And especially, I might say, here in America, especially uh, in the West, we need to understand this. Uh, Phil Newton said, we need to see that houses, cars, vacations, bank accounts, recreation, and all of our stuff are temporary. We do not take them beyond the grave. And Christ has promised us as we see in 1 Peter 1, 4, and 5, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So he's reminding them to go back and remember when they first came to Christ, to recall God's faithfulness, to sustain them through suffering, through persecution, through difficulty. They've been running the race for a while now, and and they're getting weary. And sometimes, again, in the race, even when we've seen God move in power, and we can still, I think about John the Baptist after being so faithful, he obviously had some concern and wavering when he sent word and and asked of Jesus, are you the one or, or do we look for another when he was facing persecution in prison. And when we're going through trial and difficulty, again, sometimes we can become weary. And so we're reminded by this writer, remember God's faithfulness. Remember how God has been faithful to you. Remember how God has been faithful to others. And God is always faithful. Keep on trusting him. These were, these were, he were reminding them of this persecution. And I just remind you today that persecution continues in our day. In fact, there's uh, reports that more people have died for Christ in the 20th century, or more believers did die for Christ in the 20th century, put to death as martyrs than in all the other centuries uh, of the past combined. One report indicates that there are over 60 countries where Christians today face the reality of massacre, rape, torture, mutilation, family division, harassment, imprisonment, slavery, discrimination in education and employment, and death. Nip Ripkin, and by the way, I commend that to you. Some of you have read the book, The Insanity of, uh, of God and the Insanity of Obedience, a former uh, Southern Baptist missionary. I would commend that to you. And his uh, website, I would encourage you to, to look up. It's nipritkin.com. And, uh, and I would encourage you to look at that because he deals a lot with this matter of persecution as, as believers today. Uh, he says that the major cause of persecution is simple. It's people giving their lives to Christ. 
and then refusing to deny others access access to the very same Savior. In other words, they come to Jesus, they're saved, they're born again, and then they tell others. They want others to know, and that leads to persecution. Uh, but, uh, but again, uh, he, uh, he points out that pastors who serve, have served, for example, under the former Soviet Union say persecution is as normal as the sun coming up in the east. He goes on to say believers side with persecutors when they, uh, when they withhold their witness, and they side with the persecuted when they are open in sharing their faith. So one of the most important ways that we can fellowship in the sufferings of our, of our brothers and sisters who in other places, but by the way, 80% of the world, as one statistic I read uh, today, undergoes persecution for, for serving Christ. So how can, we, how can we over here in America, who know very little about what it really means to suffer persecution, yet... How can we identify with them? Well, again, one of the most important ways, Ripken says, is by sharing the gospel. He said, again, by proclaiming the gospel, we identify, we side with the persecuted when they are open and sharing their faith. So brothers and sisters, again, remember, remember God's faithfulness to sustain you in the past. But second, beginning there in verses 35 and 36, remember God's call to endure in the present. Again, in verse, verse 35, we see, having reminded them of God's faithfulness to sustain them in the past, he says then, therefore, do not throw away your confidence. You got the picture there of throwing away. Do not throw away your confidence. Their confidence is obviously on, on, on shaky ground in light of their present suffering. Morris says, throw away conveys the thought of reckless rejection of what is valuable. And the construction of the Greek here indicates that they were not there yet, but they were very much at risk for this in the future. The word confidence, a key word in, in the book of Hebrews, it's mentioned in chapter 3, verse 6, 4, verse 16, 10, verse 19, and again here in our text. Bill Newton says, confidence is a boldness grounded in the sacrifice of Christ to enter into God's presence. It's not a state of mind merely, but an active dependence upon Jesus Christ and his sacrificial death. Don't throw that away. Don't have reckless rejection of that. Again, we come back to that same idea of falling away and, and, and again, throwing away our, our confidence in the light of this suffering they were enduring. They were enduring. Verse 36, he, he goes on to, to tell them, you have need of endurance. You have need of endurance. The word endurance also translated patience or Perseverance literally means to remain under. Uh, and, and what is endurance? Endurance, of course, is pictured in, a, in, the, in the running picture, as Paul often used in, in, in Philippians and 1 Corinthians. They were running a race, and it's not a 100-yard dash. It's a, it's a marathon. And it's a lifelong race that we're in. And we get tired along the way. We get weary along the way. Uh, we endure great trial and suffering along the way. We endure persecution along the way. But we must not throw away our confidence. We, we must have endurance. 
He says, but because in doing so, uh, we were obeying the will of God. Again, he, he says, when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. God has promised us. Now, we are not saved uh, by running the race. We're not saved uh, uh, because we've endured. We are saved. And when we truly are saved, we will endure. We will run the race faithfully. But we still challenge one another and call one another uh, to endure. And God rewards us. He doesn't re- we're not, salvation is not a reward. But, uh, but we know that the Bible does teach that God rewards faithfulness. And, and I believe heaven is sweeter for those who've run, who, are, who know Christ and have run the race faithfully. And God promises reward for those. So again, he talks about this endurance in the will of God, obeying the will of God. And again, implied here is, is, is endurance in the word of God. You see, the way we know the will of God is through the word of God. We don't know the will of God apart from the word of God. That's why we need to be faithful. That's why Jesus taught us in John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. He assures believers that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what is promised. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Once again, once again, we're not saved by enduring, but if we are saved, we will endure. Jesus often talked about what was ahead for his followers and the, the persecution, the difficulty, the trials. And in Matthew 10, he said, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So why such a great emphasis on endurance? Again, because so many do fall away. We showed that to you last Sunday in passages of Scripture, and we know it from our own experience. We've seen in recent days people who, uh, who were, had been on the, in the race a long time who at least temporarily shrunk back. And, and again, what harm that does to the cause of Christ uh, we're, we recently celebrated the homegoing of Dr. Gray Allison, the founding president of Mid-America Seminary, who passed away at 94 years old. And we celebrate, yes, his accomplishments and how God used him, but we celebrate the fact that he finished well. He didn't shrink back. He continued to run the race faithfully, and that is reason to celebrate. Uh, again, we challenge one another. Don't shrink back. Again, Ripken says the issue for us as believers is, is Jesus worth it? Is Jesus worth it? Is Jesus worth it to you, dear friend, as a, as a follower of Christ? Again, he challenges us to endure in the present. But thirdly, remember God's promises to anticipate for the future. As we challenge one another not to shrink back, remember God's promises to anticipate in the future. Verses 37 to 39. The first thing I want to point out here is we must live in, 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 in anticipation of Christ's coming. Look at, again at verse 37, and he's quoting here Old Testament passages. But he, but he says, For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. 
Again, he's, Pat, he's quoting here from Isaiah 26.20 and, and, and Habakkuk 2.3. And both of these passages, passages tell of God coming in judgment. In Habakkuk, the Lord uh, speaks of his coming uh, in, uh, to reward the righteous who lives by faith, as we're going to see in just a moment. But he uses these to point to Christ's return. And again, we read the New Testament over and over again of, of Jesus' promise, his personal promise, that he said, I, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. That's a promise from Jesus. He's promised he's coming back. And his, and his word to us is be ready, be watching. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 uh, through 17, describe for us the, the details of his coming. And how he's going to return. Uh, he tells us in Titus 2.13 how we should live in anticipation of his coming. He says, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This implies that we are to live uh, in eager expectation of the Lord's return. And, you know, we need to remind ourselves of that often, often. That's why scripture so often reminds us of that because we tend to forget, don't we? We tend to, uh, you know, it's been a while uh, since Jesus was here physically, since he made that promise. He hadn't come yet, uh, but we need to live every day because again, we, we look to the New Testament as we're going, as we, we study the gospels and we see how the believers even then were anticipating at least a remnant of them anticipating the coming of the Messiah, and just as surely as he came the first time, he is coming again. And we need to live every day as if though he may come this day. And John, 1 John talks about how that, what a difference that makes when we live in that anticipation. It produces a, a spirit of holiness in our lives and, and challenges us toward holy living and expectation of the return of Christ. But secondly, we must live by faith. Again, quoting the Habakkuk passage, he says, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And again, salvation we know is, is, is by grace through faith in Christ alone. No, no, not, not Christ plus anything. Christ by grace through faith in Christ alone. Uh, but we are also, but we are called also to live by faith in God and His Word. And the evidence of saving faith is enduring faith. Keep on believing God. Keep on believing Him at His Word. Uh, God says here in this passage, "If He shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in Him." Again, an indication that this person who professed faith, who indicated he was a believer, if he shrinks back, if he turns away, that was an indication that he had no genuine saving faith. I have an evangelist friend who used to say, Carrie Miller, who used to say, if your faith fizzles before the finish, it was faulty at the first. If your faith fizzles before the finish, it was faulty at the first. Well, when we get to chapter 11, Lord willing, next week, we're going to get to see a number of Old Testament illustrations of people who's, who lived by faith, who walked and lived by faith. So again, that's what God has called us to do, not to shrink back in fear. But then thirdly, live up to your new identity. 
Verse 39, he says, But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So again, the writer here, he's warned of the peril of turning away, of shrinking back, but now he expresses his confidence. He knows about his own relationship, and though we don't know about the heart of anyone else, we can see the evidence. We can see those evidence as we saw back there in the first verse in 32, and when they demonstrated love for God's people, compassion uh, for God's people, love for the gospel to the extent they were willing to risk their lives for the gospel. We see those evidences, and so now with encouragement and with confidence, again, he says we are not of those. That is not who we are. That's who we used to be, but that's not who we are anymore. And God calls us again to be who we are. We're not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. So I used to have a fellow used to say, well, you know, I, I, I can't say that I won't ever uh, do that. I can't say that I won't backslide. Or, well, you know, you can say by the grace of God, I won't. By God's power and by God's grace, I can't do it on my own. I don't depend on myself. I, can't, I, I have, don't have the strength in myself. But I can, as Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And I am not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. I am not of those who are going to be destroyed in hell forever. I'm a new creation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Be who you are, brothers and sisters, in Christ as you persevere and as you do not shrink back. And remember the words that Paul gave to us as we're going through those times of suffering as in persecution and in trial. He said, for in this light momentary affliction, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. You know, you say, well, it doesn't seem like momentary no, it doesn't when you're walking through it, does it? And I'm sure many of our brothers and sisters in Christ today who are in prisons across the world, many, who, many widows whose husbands were killed for the sake of the gospel, who are struggling to provide for their family, uh, some in various Muslim countries who came to faith in Christ and whose parents, parents married them off, to, an, to a man perhaps 30 years their senior who is Muslim in a, in a form, in a sense, of, of persecution against them for their faith in Christ, it doesn't seem momentary. But dear friend, compared to all eternity with Christ, it's momentary. It's momentary. And his grace is sufficient. And as the song says, it will be worth it all when we see Christ. John Piper said the two things everybody wants these believers had found, but not in this world. He said everybody wants the best happiness possible and the longest happiness possible. But they had, as this passage says, a better possession, a better possession and an abiding one. The possession they had was a place in God's presence forever. Dear friend, have you found this treasure in Jesus? Have you come to know the treasure who's worth losing everything for, the Lord Jesus Christ? Oh, I just want to remind you today that God is our creator, that he created you, and that you are accountable 
to him. The Bible says one day all of us are going to stand before him. Even those who deny him are going to stand before him one day and give an account to him. Ultimately, the Bible says one day every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. But the Bible also says that we have a problem. It's called a sin problem. The Bible says all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and therefore are separated from God because of that sin. Now and for eternity and ultimately culminating in separation and hell forever as we've described it from last week's passage. But I have good news. The good news is is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus. Jesus came. He lived a perfect and sinless life because he was fully God as well as fully human. And one day he went to a cross. And the Bible says on that cross that, that, that my sin was placed on Jesus, that he became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. He paid my debt in full. He was buried. He rose again. He's alive today. And as we've studied in the book of Hebrews right now, he is seated at the right hand of God the Father because he too is fully God. And the, the word of God, as we've said already, makes it clear he's coming again. So that's good news. But how do you respond to that good news? The Bible says you respond to that good news in repentance and faith. That means turning from your sin turning to Jesus and placing your faith completely in him. The Bible says that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you've never experienced that before, dear friend, that's the gospel. That's what we want you to experience today by, again, turning from your sin, placing your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, that's why so many people today around the world believe that Jesus is the treasure worth losing everything for. He really, really is. The Walendas risked their lives. One of them died, but not for eternal purpose. The life of a Christ follower is not safe. I'm not here preaching you today that if you come to Jesus, everything is going to become rosy after that or, or simple and safe. No. Again, ask many of our believer friends today around the world who are suffering. It requires boldness and courage and risk-taking. But Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. He really is the treasure worth losing everything for. So how do we respond in obedience to this today, Lucy? First of all, I want to challenge you today to continuously recall God's faithfulness in the past to you, to sustain you, and also to other believers. God is faithful. Second, I encourage you today to endure in the word of God and in the will of God, knowing that God will reward your obedience. Third, live in daily anticipation of Christ's imminent return. Four, Live like a citizen of heaven where your treasure is, not attached to this world. Five, boldly proclaim the gospel, and when you do, expect persecution.
6, be determined to finish well and not to shrink back. And finally, live like you really believe that Jesus is worth it because he really is. This is Pastor David Lawrence. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that God used his word in your life today. If you do not have a relationship with God, the Bible says you can as you turn from your sin, place your faith in Christ Jesus, his death for you on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, and surrender your life to Jesus as Lord. We'd like to invite you to join us for worship. You can find information about the times and locations for all of our gatherings on our website at lucybaptist.com. If you have any questions or if we can minister to you in any way, please call us at 901-872-0623 or email us at info at lucybaptist.com.